I'm going to read a few verses here, and I'm going to kind of take a phrase out of this passage. You, you know the account here in Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Get thee in the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Now we'll stop reading there. I'll, I'll make some reference to the latter part of the passage, but would you look at what it said in verse number six? This interests me, this little phrase. He took the fire in his hand. And I'm going to pray and then I, I'm going to preach. And I think I want to title this message, When Your God Asks You to Burn Down Your Tomorrows. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And I pray you help us in the next few moments in this passage of Scripture to speak the truth and to speak it in love. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be exalted and glorified. And Lord, if you are glorified, then your people will be helped. So help us today. Lord, there may be somebody here, they're struggling over surrendering. They're struggling over saying yes to you about something you've been dealing with their heart about. I have, Lord, on my mind and on my heart for some reason today young men and young women who ought to be surrendering their lives. And so, Lord, I pray you'll help us. And, Lord, I guess now I'm an old man. I pray you'd help me to be surrendered and to be submitted unto thee. Help me, Lord, to be more concerned about your will than about my way. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. There have been, in Abraham's experience with God, whenever I say that experience, I was preaching in Romeo, Michigan. It was an old camp meeting. It was an old Methodist campground. We were having the Midwestern Baptist old-fashioned camp meeting there. They had a little... Uh, they had a little museum of things that had happened over the years. And I went in and was reading through the, some things. They had, they had transcripts of sermons that had been preached and descriptions of things that had happened on that Methodist campground. And I was reading, and in one of those transcripts, it said, after the preaching tonight, during the invitation, four young men had an experience with the grace of God. And when I read that, I thought, yeah, that's what happened to me. <laughs> I had an experience with the grace of God. And here is Abraham, and in Abraham's experience with God, there have been some difficult moments, some trying times. 
I think about the departure from the Ur of the Chaldees. When God had said to him, take, uh, he said, I want you to get up out of your country and away from your kindred. Go to a land that I will show thee. That must have been a trying time to leave your family behind and everything you've known and head to a place and you didn't even know where you were going. And up until this time also there's been the division from Lot. Abraham took Lot with him and it caused him a great deal of trouble. I remember a man preaching in a tent meeting up in West Virginia one time, a message called Loaded Down with Lot. And he spent the whole service with a young fella climbing up, carrying him on his back. And he said, this is Lot. And he said, everything Abraham had tried to do, Lot would get in the way. And that's the way it is with us when we hold on to things we should have let go of. I remember him trying to kneel down at the altar and he couldn't do it because he's loaded down with Lot. I remember him trying to get to his wallet to give in the offering, but he couldn't do it. He was loaded down with Lot. I'll never forget that message as long as I live. But then one day, Lot and Abraham had to split up. We, somebody has mentioned it, I think, perhaps this week. Uh, and uh, Lot, he chose the well-watered plains of Jordan and left Abraham standing in the rocks. But it's interesting what the Bible said. It said that Lot lift up his eyes and looked to the east, to the well-watered plain. He lift up his eyes. And when Abraham was left standing in the rocks, letting Lot make the decision, God came by and said this to him, Lift up now thine eyes. He said, Lot got to look and choose, and he got the east. He said, lift up now thine eyes and look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Everything you look at, I'm going to give to you. God will always treat you better than you can treat yourself. And then there was the dismissal of, dismissal of Ishmael. Abraham did not want to send that boy away. He was the son that was born, of course, of Hagar. God said, you've got to send him out. You've got to send him out. He's not the promised one. And Abram said, oh, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. I'm sure it broke his heart to send that boy away. There's been trial and troubles in Abraham's life. But we've come to up till this point in his life, the greatest trial he's had to face. And that is the demand for Isaac. God says to Abraham, and he emphasizes it in verse 2. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. There's an emphasis there. Saying it over and over again in three different ways. God said, I want you to take Isaac and take him up on the mountain. And the Bible said, a burnt offering. So the next morning, Abraham gets up and he takes Isaac. And the Bible tells us in verse number 6 what he took with him. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. You know the picture. You can see the picture. It's a picture of Christ carrying the cross, carrying sin. But then it says this. He took the fire in his hand. Now, that interests me. It does not say he took a flint to start a fire. It doesn't say he took two sticks to rub together so that he could start a fire when he got up on the mountain. He said he took that fire with him. He carried it from somewhere to somewhere. So I'm thinking to myself, where did that fire come from? You know what Abraham is famous for in our Bible? The building of altars. Sacrificing. 
Do you remember the very first time we read about a sacrifice in the Bible in the book of Genesis when Abel and and, uh, Cain offered their sacrifices and the Bible said that, that God had respect unto Abel's offering but not unto Cain's. I have a question. How did Abel know that God accepted his offering? Well, if we read in other places, here's how I think he knew. I think fire from God burnt that offering up. That was the evidence that God had accepted it. So this fire that Abraham is carrying, I think, is fire from God. It's fire that has come from heaven to earth and burnt up the offerings, the sacrifices that Abraham has made. So Abraham knows how this fire works. And he picks up that fire and he's headed up the mountain with the fire that God started in his life and he's going to allow that fire to burn up all of his hopes and all of his dreams and all of his tomorrows. All of us have hopes and dreams and ambitions about what we'd like to do, what we'd like to be, where we'd like to go. But what happens when God burns all those down? Like we heard in the song when he says no to that dream. What happens? I want you to see Abraham taking this offering, uh, taking Isaac up, and he's carrying that fire in his hand. God had started that fire in his life. You remember when God started a fire in your life? You remember when he was lost and on your way to hell and the Holy Ghost of God brought you under conviction and you trusted Christ as your Savior and that Holy Spirit moved in and took up residence in you. That's that holy fire of God. That's that Shekinah glory of God that dwells in us. I often think of Abraham. I'm wandering a little bit, and I apologize, but I've just things are coming at me here in different directions. And I often think about Moses out there on the backside of the desert, and he comes to that bush. It's, a, it's an old bush. The word is senna. It means a thorny bush. He comes to an old thorn bush, and he looks, and in the midst of that bush, there's a fire burning. It doesn't say that the, fire, that the bush was in the fire. It said the fire was in the bush. It's a picture of the Shekinah. Later on, Moses will say this. In Deuteronomy, I think it is about that circumstance. He'll talk about the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush. And that word dwelt is the word shakan. It's where we get where we the, the, the Hebrew word coming out, Shekinah. We talk about the Shekinah glory of God. What Abraham or what Moses saw in that bush burning was the Shekinah glory of God. Can I tell you what happened to me on March the 10th of 1980 about 11 o'clock on Saturday night at 110 North Forest Street in Wayland, Michigan in the northernmost bedroom of the house. God lived up the Shekinah glory in my heart the Holy Ghost of God moved in and took up residence in me and somebody said preacher why do you get excited I can't help it when I get the old flesh out of the way that Shekinah glory gets to moving around so there's a fire burning in Abraham's life and now God says here's what I want you to do with that fire I want it to burn up your tomorrow." I want it to burn down your hopes and your dreams. And I'm thinking about Abraham headed up the mountain, and I'm thinking about all the difficulties that were involved in this. I'm thinking, first of all, there seems to be no advantage to this. What possible advantage could it be to Abraham's life to burn Isaac up on an altar? 
No advantage. You see, when Isaac dies, several things will die. When Isaac dies, Abraham's patient waiting for fatherhood is dead. All those years he waited patiently for God to give him that promised seed. And now God said, okay, take it up there and burn it up. It's going to be gone. All that patience, all that patience was a waste of time when Isaac is burned up. And then secondly, Abraham's present joy of fulfillment. God emphasizes this. He said, take now thy son. He could have just said that. He could have just said, take thy son. But he didn't stop there. He said, thine only son. And then he named him Isaac. And then he said, whom thou lovest. You don't think that Isaac was the apple of Abraham's eye? The joy of his life, the day would start out and he'd go out and he'd get that boy and look at that boy and his heart would leap within him. Here's the promise of God in my life. Here's what I've waited for. He was the joy of Abraham's life. God's gonna have him burnt up. And then there was Abraham's promised blessings for the future. They'll all die when Isaac dies. You and I, look at me, you and I know the rest of the story. But Abraham didn't. He didn't know the rest of the story. He had an inkling perhaps, and I'll talk to you about that. But here is Abraham's promise, his future, the seed, the Bible. God had talked about in his seed, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth should be blessed. But that'll all be gone up in flames, nothing left but ashes. There, there seemed to be no advantage to what God had said. And then there were no alternatives. Abraham does not get a choice in the matter. He doesn't get a choice as to the time of this offering. I, I could see him say, Lord, couldn't we wait a little longer? I mean, I'd like to have Isaac. I don't know how old Isaac was. I've tried to figure it out. I've read what people say about it. One fellow said he was six years old. One fellow said he's 26 years old. That's a pretty broad expanse between there. I have no idea how old Isaac was in this passage. I don't know how long Abraham has had Isaac, but I could see Abraham say, Lord, if I have to do this, couldn't I hang on to him a little while longer? Couldn't we wait another day Lord wouldn't next month be just as good as this month wouldn't next week be just as good as this week I don't want to let go of this boy but there were no alternatives he didn't get to choose the time he didn't get to choose the territory Where's he going to take him? Up there to Mount Moriah. God has a place. He has a place scheduled. Maybe Abraham would say, now, Lord, you know, here's where you said, but I don't like this place. I could just see it. This is what I would do. I'd say, now, Lord, I don't like this place. Let's look for another place. Why? It'll give me a little more time with Isaac. Do you ever finagle with God? There's no alternative to the time, to the territory, not even to the type, not, not what's going on here. I could see Abraham say, Lord, if we have to do this, do we have to use fire? Do we have to do it this way? I don't know. The Bible talks about a burnt offering. Later on, we'll find out what's entailed and what's involved in a burnt offering. The slaying of the boy. Then you must fillet him, you must... Take the skin off him. Then you must separate the fat from the meat. Then you must burn some. Is all this going through Abraham's mind? That there's no alternative. 
God didn't say, now, I'll tell you what, Abraham, I know this is hard on you, so I'll give you this choice and that choice and the other choice. God just said, no, this is what we're going to do. And then there's no or seems to be no assistance in this trip. What do you mean, preacher? Well, his sweetheart is left at the house. I don't read where I ever told Sarah even what he was about to do. He gets up. He takes Isaac. There are servants that go with him. But I don't see Sarah anywhere in the picture. I don't know if she even knows about it. I don't know if he was instructed not to tell her. The Bible doesn't say so. All we know is she's nowhere in the picture. Man, look like if you're going to do something like this, you'd like to have the closest person to you, the closest living person to you, at least to help you along the way. But he's left her at home. The servants are left with the ass. They get up to a certain place, and Abraham looks at the servants and said, you, you fellas stay here. You can't go with us. You can't be part of this. I don't know how, I, I, I was reading a little bit today in chapter 18 about Abraham and when God came to visit him and there was that young man and I like to preach on that young man that got involved in that meal there. It was not about him, but he got to be involved in it. And I thought along the way, Abraham had servants that were helped to him and encouraged him and undergirded him, but the servants are not there. And apparently, he's left his son in the dark about what they're going to do. Because here's what Isaac says. He said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He's left his son in the dark about it. So there's no sweetheart, there's no servants, there's no son. And then where is God? Now I read about God here. When he comes to him and says, take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee in the land of Moriah. Offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And then I don't read anything about God. Abraham gets up in the morning. Doesn't say the Lord went with him. Just said he goes where God told him to go. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. But it doesn't say that God was there. And then the Bible said, Abraham said to the young men, abide ye here with the ass. He doesn't say that God is there in that verse. I don't see God in verse 6. I don't see him in verse 7. I don't see him in verse 8. I don't see him in verse 9. I do not see God. Where is God in this? Abraham, God lets Abraham get up in the morning, leave Sarah behind, take the sun, get the fire, get the knife, get the wood, head off into the wilderness, headed for the place that God had told him, has him to leave the servants and the two, of those, the two of those men, Abraham and his son, head up the hill and they're walking alone. And I'm gonna tell you sometimes, God will put something on your heart and you know it's the will of God. But you can't find any help in it. You can't find any assistance in it. It's just something you have to do alone. Sometimes it's even hard to find God in the middle of it. So there's no advantage. There are no alternatives. And there is no assistance. Yet Abraham kept this fire burning. And Abraham kept on his journey. And Abraham 
even when he left everyone else behind, took Isaac up on the mountain, and it looks to me like it was purposed in his heart to do what God told him to do. To put an end to all of his hopes and an end to all of his dreams to burn up his tomorrows in the fire of God. Say, preacher, how can he do that? Well, there may not have been any advantage and there may not have been any alternatives and there may not have been any assistance, but here's what there was. There was an accounting. An accounting. The Bible will tell us in the book of Hebrews, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed shall be called. And then it tells us this accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a like figure. Now, I want to remind you about something about Abraham. He has already experienced a resurrection because the Bible said he considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham and Sarah had come to the place, the Bible said, it ceased to be with her after the manner of women. That means she could not conceive, and Abraham could not produce because his body was even now dead as far as that was concerned. And yet, between her deadness and his deadness was a living God. And when that living God put his hand on his deadness and her deadness. You know what was the result was? A resurrection took place. Out of deadness came a life. Out of deadness came Isaac. Where there was no hope there came a son. Where there was no chance. How'd that happen? That was the power of God. That was a resurrection. So Abraham already knows God has resurrection power. So now he gets up there. He's headed, I can see him headed up there. You know what God's able to do. You know what he's able to do. You know what he could do. I know what I'm going up there to do. I'm going to take my son up there and I'm going to burn him till there's nothing left but ashes. But I have a God who is able to take deadness and out of deadness bring life. And so I think that same God could gather up those ashes and breathe into those ashes the breath of life and give me back my son. I think it'll be all right if I burn up my tomorrows because my God is the God of tomorrow. There's an accounting. See, God had never failed Abraham. God had already shown Abraham his resurrecting power. And I want to say this to you. When God deals in your heart and he says to you, I want you to lay this on the altar and let me burn it up. I want you to lay this on the altar and let me put an end to it. I want you to remember when you were dead in trespasses and sin and God gave you a resurrection. You were quickened on the newness of life. And I want you to be reminded whatever you lay on that altar and burn up in the fire of God, God is able to give it back multiplied times in your life. Let's take an accounting. God has never failed us. Hallelujah. Not one time. Not one time. I tell you what, if we want to count down the times God's failed us, it'll be a short list. But if we want to write down the times that God has blessed us and met our need, we're going to be writing a long time. Let's take an accounting. And when it's time to lay things down on the altar, let's take an accounting as to the faithfulness of God. 
and the power of God. How can Abraham burn up his tomorrow? Because he serves the God of tomorrow. He serves the God that can make tomorrow better than yesterday. Who can give you back what you've laid down on the altar. That's what our God can do. That's what Abraham had in his mind. My friend Joe Arthur likes to say that while Abraham and Isaac were headed up one side of the mountain, God nudged a ram over on the other side of the mountain and said, I got a meeting for you up in a certain place. And while they were coming up here, getting ready to burn up all his tomorrows, God was sending a ram up there to give him back all his tomorrows. Can I promise you something? Hey, young person, can I promise you something? If God works in your heart and says, I need you to burn up those dreams you have. I need you to burn up those ambitions you have. I want to. I need you to burn up all your tomorrows. I want to promise you something about God. Our God is able out of that fire to bring new life and set you in a new direction. Let's account him to be faithful. There was an accounting. And then I'll say this to you. There was an advancing. It looked like the end. I'm sure it must have looked that way to anybody who could see. If Abraham had been headed up that mountain and run into somebody and they said, where are you going, Abraham? Well, God told me to take my son up and burn him to ashes. Could you imagine what they would say to him? Are you kidding me? That's your tomorrow. That's all your hope. You're putting an end to things. But I want you to see it was not an end. It was a beginning. It was an advancement. What happened up there on the mountain? Well, you know what happened. You know the account. God, up there, Abraham's ready to slay his son. He lifts the knife. The angel of the Lord speaks to him, tells him not to do it, and points out a ram caught in a thicket, and the ram is offered up in the stead of Isaac. And here's what happens. Abraham's knowledge is deepened. His knowledge of God. Here's what he'll say. He'll say, verse 14, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Abraham saw things he'd never seen before up there in that mountain. He knew more. Now, he apparently knew a lot about God when he headed up, but apparently from what I read here, he knew more of God when he came back down than he did when he went up. And then not only there was his knowledge was deepened, but his testimony was sharpened. Because here's what the Bible said in James. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now remember, James, Paul is going to look at it from God's viewpoint. Looking at the heart, James is going to look at it from man's viewpoint. He'll use this language. Ye see then how that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the sight of God, we are justified by faith alone. But in the sight of men, they can't see our faith. They must see our works or they don't know we have faith. And so the Bible said this in James 2, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. I'm gonna tell you something, friend. You talk to some old preacher around here. Uh, Some, I'm not talking about somebody like me. I'm talking about somebody who's 
walked with God for years and years and years and has a testimony. And you, you'll say to them, you know, you have such a testimony with God. Here's what they'll say. This is what God did in my life. This is what God did in my life. When Abraham comes down off that mountain, all he's going to have to say is, this is what God did. Let me tell you what God did. And what God did sharpened his testimony. James talks about it. I'll tell you why our testimonies are so dull. We got everything so figured out, all our plans and all our hopes, and we're not willing to let God burn anything up. We're too attached to it. If we'd let him burn up our tomorrows and let him have his way in our life, our testimony would be sharpened. Then Abraham's promises were strengthened. God begins to talk about multiplication. He said that in verse 17, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. We've talked a little bit about multiplication this week. Apparently, God likes to multiply things. He doesn't, now, I know he adds, but I'll tell you what he likes to do better than add. He likes to multiply. He likes to make things so much bigger. And then Abraham's heart was gladdened. Here's what Jesus said in John. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Jesus talking in the past tense. Not he is rejoicing to see my day, but he rejoiced something that happened in the past tense. When did Abraham see the day of Christ? Up on that mountain. When that ram was offered instead of Isaac. He saw God's plan of salvation that was down through the ages. And here's what Jesus said. When he saw it, it gladdened his heart. It made his heart glad. You look around and you see somebody walking in a spirit of joy and gladness, walking with the Lord. And you say, well, I know what it is. I know why they're so glad. They've never had trouble. They've never been through the fire. They've never gone through disappointment. No, that's not what it is. Here's what it is. In their trial and in their fire and in their disappointment, they got a little better view of God and they got a little closer to God and God gave them a gladness in their heart that no longer depends on the circumstance and the situation but it depends on the Savior. It made their hearts glad. Can I recommend something to you this afternoon? Take your tomorrows and say, Lord, here they are. And if you want to burn them up on the, on the altar of sacrifice, I'm willing. If you want to take my dreams and my hopes and my ambitions and burn them up in the fire from heaven, Lord, I'm willing. And you know what the result will be? I believe God will do for you what he did for Abraham. He'll, he'll deepen your understanding and your relationship with Him. He'll give you a gladness that does not depend on what's going on around you. He'll sharpen your testimony and use you in ways that you never dreamed possible. If you just let Him have your tomorrows. Just, just that fire that He lit in your heart, just let it burn up. All the things that you're dreaming about. And let God give you his dream for your life. I've told you this before, but I love this little illustration. I read an illustration by a little boy in the 1800s who came into a mercantile 
and he had a nickel, and it took a long time to save up a nickel. And he laid it down on the counter, and he said to the proprietor, what can a fella get for a nickel around here? And the proprietor picked up a big glass jar full of homemade rock candy, and he held it out to that little boy, and he said, well, around here, a fella gets a handful for a nickel. And that little boy left that nickel on the counter and ran out the door. He didn't take any candy. He didn't take the nickel. And that proprietor standing there wondering what's going on. And in a moment, he came back in and he was pulling his father by the hand. And he pulled up and he said, a handful for a nickel, right? And the proprietor said, yes, son. He said, Daddy, reach in there and get us a handful. And then with a grin on his face, he said, Daddy has bigger handfuls than I have. Can I tell you something about your heavenly father? He has bigger handfuls than you have. And you can reach for something and grab a hold of say, I'm not letting go of this. Why don't you let go of that and see what he can get in his hand that he'd like to put in your life. Can I tell you something after being saved over 40 years and being in the ministry over 40 years? Can I tell you something? I have, I have not one regret. I don't regret a moment serving the Lord. I don't regret a moment surrendering to the ministry. I do not regret one instant of it. I'm going to tell you, God has been better to me than I ever could have dreamed and ever I could have hoped. As a matter of fact, it appears to me that his dreams for me were much bigger than mine were for me. God will treat you better than you can treat yourself. Won't you let him have your tomorrows to do whatever he will with them? Won't you on your knees at an altar say, Lord, whatever you want for me, whatever you want from me, as far as I'm able and as I know, Lord, I'm willing. I'll go up the mountain with you and burn up my tomorrows because I trust you. I just trust you, Lord, with my tomorrows.